Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson. I'm Minister for Program Development here at the church. And I have with me our wonderful lay leader, Joe Milam Cast, better known as Zoe's dad. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. May the flame we now kindle light the path back to our center back to that place of belonging again to our deepest self. And may our chalice remind us that we are held and welcomed whole without the need to hide a single piece or part of who we are. Our call to worship comes from a local UU. Here we gather to explore the mystery by Chris Jimerson. Here we gather to explore the mystery of life together. In this place that is sacred to us, we gather to experience the awe that arises from being part of the great unknown. On this hallowed ground, we glimpse with wonder that which is larger than us and difficult to fully fathom, yet of which we are an integral part, within which we find a true sense of belonging. We gather to ask questions more profound than answers, to dwell together for a while in a great openness of mind, heart, and soul. Our topic this morning is belonging. And one of the ways that we can find a sense of belonging is to be a part of a higher purpose, to feel like we're part of something larger than ourselves. And one of the ways that that happens for us as a congregation in this church is our mission. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And we've been delving deeper into the meaning of beloved community each week by asking those of us who identify as white to think about something in the week to come. Well, this recently, I've had occasion to work with several different officers from the Austin Police Department, and every single one of them made me feel comfortable. They were completely professional, and I felt completely safe with them. At the same time, though, we had new news about yet another African-American woman being shot in her own home by a police officer in Fort Worth at the same time. So what I've been struggling with and what I invite those of us who identify as white to struggle with in the next week is what would it be like to be afraid of law enforcement rather than feeling protected by them? Our meditation reading this morning comes from a University of Houston research professor best-selling and best-selling author who spent the last 20 years studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. According to her own website, her current motto is courage over comfort, and she absolutely believes that the passing lane is for passing only. Hear now the words of Brene Brown from Braving the Wilderness, the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone. True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply 
that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in being both a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Now is the time in our service where we breathe together. Breathing together, feeling one another's loving presence around us. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside. Some pray, some meditate, including using the meditation, the meta meditation in your order of service. Others just dwell in that deeper place for a while. That place where there's a sense of great belonging. That place of greater wisdom. That spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of that sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of silence together. It wouldn't be a Reverend Chris sermon without a Brene Brown video, so let's just start with that. <laughs> belonging. We're wired for love. We're hardwired for belonging. It's in our DNA. But let me tell you what belonging is. The opposite of belonging from the research is fitting in. That's the opposite of belonging. Fitting in is assessing and acclimating. Here's what I should say. Here's what I should be. Here's what I shouldn't say. 
Here's what I should avoid talking about. Here's what I should dress like, look like. That's fitting in. Belonging is belonging to yourself first, speaking your, telling your story, and never betraying yourself for other people. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are, and that's vulnerable. I wanted to start with the reading from her work that Zoe's dad shared with us a few moments ago and the short video that you just heard me read the transcript of because I think Brene Brown has so greatly captured the essence and elements of our topic today, belonging and the sacredness to be found through having a sense of belonging. Our religious education program has been exploring this topic of belonging this month, so today we lift it up in worship. Well, more decades ago than I like to admit to myself now, I served as the director of a nonprofit organization called the Houston Clinical Research Network, or HCRN. This was in the days when there really weren't any good treatments for human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, infection, nor for the many opportunistic infections it could lead to that were associated with acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS. HCRN, in turn, was part of a nationwide network of clinical research sites that worked together to try to both accelerate research on promising experimental treatments for HIV and its associated infections, and as importantly, to provide access to such promising drugs to people who had often run out of treatment options. That network of nonprofit research sites brought access to experimental treatments into community physicians' offices rather than academic medical settings and was called the Community-Based Clinical Trials Network, or CBCTN. The CBCTN was funded and by and given scientific and technical assistance by a large foundation founded by Matilda Krim, a basic scientist and wealthy patron, and the actress Elizabeth Taylor. It was called the American Foundation for AIDS Research, or AMFAR. Okay, I promise that's the last acronym I'm going to make you learn today. I tell you all of this because being a part of HCRN and the CBCTN Research Network created one of the strongest feelings of belonging I have ever experienced, perhaps only matched by now getting to serve as a minister here at this church. For one thing, it was how I met my spouse, Wayne. He was one of the key physicians working with us to conduct the research. We served together as just friends for a while until we got some funding to attend the International Conference on AIDS in Florence, Italy. We came back from Florence as more than just friends. We later learned that a group of other folks with whom we also worked through HCRN and who were also attending the conference with us had set us up by booking the two of us into the romance suite at the Florida Grand Hotel. I guess they thought we belonged together. In a little more than a year from now, we'll be going back to Florence again for our 30th anniversary. I suppose maybe they were right. So. Anyway, besides finding out that I belonged with Wayne, there was also a sense of deep connection both among all of us who worked together at our local research sites, but also among the leaders of those CBCTN sites throughout the country. We talked all the time by phone, and we got together several times a year for in-person meetings. 
We needed each other, not just to coordinate the research we were doing together, but to help each other cope with how much loss each of us was experiencing, including losing some of our own leadership within AMFAR and the CBCTN. We lost people like Gary Bonasorte, who was an AIDS activist, founder of an off-Broadway theater company, leader of the Community Research Initiative on AIDS, the CBCTN site in New York City, a playwright, and just a sweet and wonderful friend. Gary was married to the well-known playwright Terrence McNally. And a theater in which Wayne and I volunteered in Houston ended up producing one of Gary's plays. So he would come and stay with us as he traveled back and forth for the production. The day after Gary stayed with us for the last time, he started feeling dizzy. His doctor soon found lymphoma in his brain, and we lost him only a few days after that. He was 45 years old. Paul Corser was the driving force within AMFAR behind the CBCTN and a great supporter of all of us at the local research sites. He came to Houston several times to help me get HCRN up and going and to do education about clinical trials. He was funny and kind and one of the truest friends I've ever known. Paul once said that the thing he did for which he was proudest in his life was to get the ball rolling on research with protease inhibitors. These are the antiviral drugs that would first make it possible for people with HIV to live normal lifespans. It is a tragic irony, then, that the protease inhibitors didn't become widely available in time to save Paul himself. He died of AIDS about a year earlier than Gary. Paul was 37 years old. Wayne and I were able to attend his memorial service at a little church off of Central Park in New York, as were a number of our friends and colleagues from the CBCTN sites across the country. Well, when it got to be almost 30 minutes after the time the service was supposed to start, we started asking each other, you know, what's going on here? Why aren't we starting? Well, all of a sudden, there was this commotion at the back of the little church and a mournful wail of, oh, Paul! we turned around to see Elizabeth Taylor arriving late and making a grand entrance. And so the memorial service could finally start. As it turned out, it was Elizabeth Taylor who would be delivering Paul's eulogy. God bless you, Paul, for going out as big as you lived. I share Gary and Paul's stories with you as just two examples of the kinds of loss those of us involved with HIV clinical research in those days were experiencing over and over again. And so those deep personal connections we had formed within the CBCTN, that sense of belonging we created with each other across the country, that sense of belonging to something greater than ourselves, our shared sense of purpose, our mutual determination to find better treatments for our friends and loved ones who were dying of HIV AIDS one right after the other, such that so many of us simply lost count I think that sense of belonging, those extraordinarily close friendships we created, this was the only way we were able to make it through that time and keep doing the work we were doing. And I like to think it may have been some comfort to folks like Paul and Gary as they faced their final days. 
our experience from that time fits perfectly with what Brene Brown has to say about belonging. We needed each other and the sense of belonging we created for each other, yes, but we could only get that if we showed up as our truest, most authentic selves. In the face of that kind of loss, we had to be willing to be vulnerable, to call each other up and say, I just need to talk or I just need to cry in your ear for a while. And we had to get very, very clear about who we were, what we believed, where we stood, because in the face of those mounting losses, up against government bureaucracies that could be heartless and a food and drug administration that was resistant to providing the kind of large-scale access to experimental treatments for which we were fighting, we didn't have time to worry about fitting in or what other people thought. We had to be willing to stand alone in the wilderness sometimes, up against forces that didn't seem to care, and sometimes up against forces of hostility. And as Dr. Brown describes as a key element of belonging, we had a sense of purpose, of being part of something larger than ourselves, a sense of right place, a sense that we were where we were supposed to be and were doing what we were supposed to be doing. Now, I don't mean to imply we had any special wisdom or even awareness of all this. None of us had even heard of Brene Brown and her ideas at the time. I just think that level of crisis forced us to create belonging with each other as the only way we had for making it through from one day to the next. And we, as humans, need a sense of belonging, not just in times of tragedy and crisis like I've been describing, but as we go through the challenges, joys, sorrows, and just the events of daily life. Research has found that having a sense of belonging is healthy for us in a great number of ways, both psychologically and physically, and that the opposite is also true. Not having a sense of belonging is detrimental to us. As Dr. Brown puts it, we are hardwired for belonging. It's in our DNA. Well, Emily Esfani Smith is another researcher who studies how we construct meaning in life. She has found that the ability to find meaning in life is actually more important to our well-being than even seeking happiness is. She's identified what she calls the four pillars for creating a sense of meaning in life, and the very first of those pillars is belonging. More on that in just a moment, but here's the three other pillars. One, a sense of purpose, using your strengths to serve others. Next, experiences of transcendence, experiences of feeling connected to a higher reality and a melding of self into that higher reality, such as we may get through religion, arts, music, nature, and storytelling. The stories you tell yourself about yourself and that you therefore have the power to change. Now, I think Dr. Brown would probably say that these three other pillars are actually a part of or are at least deeply interrelated with having a deep sense of belonging, but I'll let the two researchers argue that out. Here is some of what Emily Esfani Smith has to say about belonging. Belonging comes from being in relationships where you're valued for who you are intrinsically and where you value others as well. But some groups and relationships deliver a cheap form of belonging. You're valued for what you believe, for who you hate, not for who you are. 
eternal longing springs from love. It lives in moments among individuals, and it's a choice we choose to cultivate belonging with others. Here's an example. Each morning, my friend Jonathan buys a newspaper from the same street vendor in New York. They don't just conduct a transaction, though. They take a moment to slow down, talk, and treat each other like humans. But one time, Jonathan didn't have the right change. And the vendor said, don't worry about it. But Jonathan insisted on paying. So he went to the store and bought something he didn't need to make change. But when he gave the money to the vendor, the vendor drew back. He was hurt. He was trying to do something kind, but Jonathan had rejected him. I think we all reject people in small ways like this without realizing it. I do. I'll walk by someone I know and barely acknowledge them. I'll check my phone when someone's talking to me. These acts devalue others. They make them feel invisible and unworthy. But when you lead with love, you create a bond that lifts each of you up. The first thing. I loved her thought that true belonging springs from love. And I loved her point that we can choose to lead with love and create a bond that lifts each of us up. But, but as she also points out, we can also deny belonging to others, act in ways that devalue someone else. I think this is so important for us to think about here at the church as we try to create a place of belonging, a spiritual home for more and more people. And in a world where the occupant of our White House recently endorsed ethnic cleansing, a world in which forces of authoritarianism are increasingly destroying any sense of belonging for so many as a way of dividing us and thereby holding on to wealth and power, I believe leading with love, engaging in intentional acts of creating belonging for ourselves and for others, that's subversive. That's revolutionary. Of course, as we saw in the video, that's not always easy. We make mistakes, sometimes without even realizing that we're doing it and end up denying belonging to others, even if that wasn't our intention. Showing up as our true and authentic self can be really, really hard. So, How do we learn more and more to lead with love, to choose to create greater and greater belonging for ourselves and others? Well, obviously, I don't have all the answers to that, but I do think Dr. Brown and Emily Smith are on to something when they say that it starts with learning self-love, self-acceptance, finding meaning in our own lives, getting true to who we are, Embracing and loving our own story so that we can show up as our authentic selves, be vulnerable with the others, doesn't just open the door to belonging for ourselves. It also invites others through that door and says, Welcome home. We belong here together. And that holy space may we create Within that sacred place, may we dwell. Amen. Now, please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. 
These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I wish you peace, love, and belonging in the weeks to come. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.